my 72 year old self will appreciate the fact that I earned more so I could put more away, you know, for the future. My mom will appreciate my ability to help her if I earn more so that I can help her in the future. Like there are reasons why I want to earn more and it's not so I can have a Fendi bag. It's for freedom. You're listening to the Winning to Wealth podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth. These stories will show you how to earn more money, pay off debt, start investing, and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future. Now, here's your host, Michael Lacey. What's up, what's up, what's up, teammates? This is episode 37 of the Winning to Wealth podcast. And this week, we're talking about paying off debt, making money online, and pursuing slow fi And to do this, I brought on the creator of the podcast and blog, MichelleIsMoneyHungry.com, Miss Michelle Jackson. Now, we've talked a lot on this show about pursuing FIRE, which is an acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. And the basic concept of FIRE is essentially to find ways to maximize your savings rate so that you can have a high enough net worth or even a high enough cash flow to become work optional for the rest of your life. And a lot of critics of the FIRE movement feel as if saving so much of your money can really limit the fun that you can have today unless you make a higher than average household income. So what do you do if you kind of fall in that gap? Maybe you don't make a huge income or maybe you do and you want to reach financial independence, but you also want to enjoy life now. That's where SloFi comes in. So we're going to have Michelle share her journey and what it took for her to get to that point, including how she paid off $60,000 worth of debt during the process. Now, Michelle mentions a few different things in this episode, including ways that you can connect with her. So be sure to head over to the show notes page, which you can find at winningtowealth.com slash episode 37. That is winningtowealth.com slash episode 37. All right, let's jump right into this episode to learn how Michelle paid off $60,000 worth of debt while pursuing slow fi. So, Michelle, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today just to learn a little bit more about your story and share it with the audience. So, again, thank you just for being here today. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me on the show. And I I really do hope that um, my story is helpful and um, a little bit uh, hopeful at this point in time. I I think it will resonate with a lot of people, especially right now. Because of what's going on with the economy, uh, even though that conversation seems to be uh, not being had right now. Right. So, you know, I I like to always kind of start back at the beginning of things. So can you just talk to me a little bit about how money was managed in your household, like when you were growing up as a kid? When you ask this question, it's really funny. I I reflect a lot about um, the beginning, the genesis. (laughs) And um, as a little kid... I, my parents divorced, uh, when I was about six and a half, seven years old. And the thing that my dad did was he declared bankruptcy, which he really didn't need to because they didn't have any money to be declaring bankruptcy. And so what happened is like with most women in that situation, when they talk about women and divorce, the, the woman's income will drop significantly 
as a result of divorce, that typically the trend is women go into poverty as a result of divorce. And so my dad pulled this financial maneuver and, um, um, and it set a, a precedent for the years to come. Unfortunately, my mom decided to go to university. She always had a love of learning and I ended up going obviously with my mom to university to this beautiful little town where she got a lot of financial aid. And so it was this really weird experience where we were really struggling, but we were living in one of the richest cities, uh, like towns in the United States to this time. So to this day, it's one of the richest places you could live in. Uh, but we were ha- like, we were struggling. And um, as a kid, I could tell that we were struggling in some ways, but it was confusing because I would go horseback riding with YMCA and I would do all these really cool things. And I was never hungry. Like it was nef- nothing like that. But there was an ongoing tension with money in the house always. And so when I talk about like money in my life as a child, there was always a tension because there was never enough. I mean, let's talk about that. Let's explore that a little bit. So, I mean, what did that tension teach you, you know, going into adulthood? Because I'm kind of familiar with that. I mean, I grew up in in like real life poverty, you know what I mean? And so it was different for me in that like we didn't have a lot of things and like I didn't get some of the experiences you had. So it's really interesting to hear kind of that play out in your life. So I'm just curious kind of what did those childhood experiences teach you about money and handling money and like, you know, how did you carry those lessons into adulthood? So it was confusing. And I, I think that part of it was my mom did not want me to struggle with money. So she wouldn't, or she, she didn't want me to feel a lot of the pain that she was experiencing. Right. Um, and so what she did, which I really wish she didn't do, but she did, uh, she wouldn't let me work when I was young. So I never like babysat or did those kinds of things. Like, uh, I never earned like pen money, if you will, as a young kid, because my mom was just like, once you start working and never stop. She, she literally said that more than once. And I begged her finally, cause I had expensive taste too. Only child, by the way. And so I was like, mom, like I really want to work and I'm tired of asking you for money and da, 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 da. And I do think that some people are natural spenders and some are natural savers. And I also think that some people are also under earners, right? Um, as well as other people who really attract money to themselves. It doesn't mean that that's a financial identity that you keep forever, but I do think that some of us trend that way. And so finally, when I was about 16 and a half, my mom, I wore her down. I was just like, mom. (laughs) And so I wore her down and I finally got to uh, get hired on at my first job making sandwiches at the food court in Tabor Center, downtown Denver. And it was so awesome because I was making bank. I was making four seventy-five an hour. And it was so awesome. <laughs> it was so awesome. But here's the thing. Um, I didn't get the money management conversation related to earning that money. So I got the soft skills conversation, which I think is so important and serves me, serves me so well to this day. Stuff like show up on time. Your word is your bond. Do what you say. Be ethical. Um, 
go above and beyond, like these wonderful soft skill conversations that I think in a lot of black families still really happen uh, to this day. But in terms of like, okay, Michelle, you just got your first job. Why don't you, you know, save 12% every, every month uh, out of each check? That didn't happen. We didn't sit down and talk about retirement. That didn't happen. We didn't sit down and talk about managing debt and how to avoid debt. Like none of that happened. Not because my mom didn't care about that, but because she'd never had those conversations like with her parents. So she was learning on the fly. And I should mention my parents divorced after my mom was a stay at home mom for the entire time that they were married, which was the case at that time, it was very common. I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm older than I look. <laughs> um, so it, it was common at the time to have your mom be a stay-at-home mom. And my dad was in the military, so there's also that that's very relevant now, where a lot of moms are like, look, I, I'd like to do some work or whatever, but we keep moving from base to base. And we lived in Japan for a couple of years. So when I was little, I started school in Japan. And so my mom's ability to work was really impeded by gender roles and notions in the house. And also just the fact that we were moving around. So she went from being married and a stay at home mom to immediately having to, to care for two people, like the primary wage wage earner for two people. And there's a story. And I kind of remember this happening um, that she shared with me uh, when I was younger and she was looking for a job. And we're in Denver and she had to take the bus with me, but she had no money. So she had to take the change out of my, my piggy bank in order to take the bus. I was free. So when, when I think about money and these money stories in my life, it's really, there's a lot like that. That's a different conversation than someone who's like, yeah, you know, like grandma gifted mom and dad $40,000 to purchase a house. And I'm like, that didn't happen. <laughs> In my, that's not my lived reality. Like that's, that didn't happen. So, um, that said, my mom taught me how to be scrappy. I can survive, you know, like I, I, that's great. That's a skill that honestly, a lot of people wish they had right now, to be honest. But at the same time, I also learned some things that I, to this day am grappling with, such as um, how to earn more, like not to be attracted to under earning. And there's a reason why I call my project Michelle's Money Hungry. It's not about greed. It's about telling myself that it's okay to want to earn more. Because the other pieces with a lot of women of color in particular, a lot of the ro- roles that we work are of service. And, and it's kind of tied to religion as well. I'm not religious. I believe in God, but I'm not religious. Um, but what I've seen in my family, cause I have a lot of religious family members, um, when they talk about work and wealth, um, it's very tied together. And even though my mom's not that religious, even with her, it's very, it's, it's something I notice, right? So to this, like for the rest of her life, I, I, I don't think this is going to change. Money is hard. Money, money brings pain. Money is difficult. There's some things have gotten better. But in general, that's the life lesson that she's learned. And she's, you know, she's grown. So at this point, I don't know that that's going to change, nor does she have the energy to change that mindset. For me, it's been a very challenging experience to unlearn a lot of these lessons. And 
it's taken a lot of self-exploration and to get to the point where I'm at now, where I'm very assertive about what I want. I've paid off a lot of debt because I had no money management skills. So I messed up my money. Yeah, it messed up everything. Not because of anything other than I just didn't have those skills. And now as, as an adult, I'm like, you know, money is interesting, especially for a person of color. Money is habit and it's access. And recently I, I released a, a podcast episode kind of talking about this. I'm like, you know, if you've got 80% of your habits, like 80% of your money life is habits, and you've got them good. But then the other 20% of your money is affected by other people making decisions about you, such as hiring, hiring, hiring you at a fair wage that is equitable for the role that you're in, saying yes to a mortgage that you've applied for um, or no because they've decided for some reason that you shouldn't get that mortgage, or uh, maybe you're, you're working hard in a role and you think that you should get uh, a raise and they're like, sorry, there's no raise. <laughs> and you're like, ah, and those decisions will resonate and, and um, affect you for years to come in your wallet. And I don't think a lot of people think about it in that way. Like, how I can affect other people's money as, as an employer, as a supervisor, that kind of thing. And I've had a number of situations where other people have hit me in my wallet because of whatever situate, whatever issue they may have with me. And so there's a reason why I now work for myself because I can under earn or over earn as much as I feel compelled to do so. And it's a, it's a very freeing experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get it. I I get that feeling wholeheartedly. So, I mean, going back, I know just something that you touched briefly on there was like, you know, you had, you messed up your money at one point, you found yourself in a lot of debt. So can you talk a little bit about like what was happening in your life as you were racking up all this debt? And first, we'll just start off with like, how much debt did you find yourself in? At this point in July, 2020, I've paid off over $60,000 worth of debt. The thing with that debt that uh, was so difficult was the complexity of the debt. A lot of bloggers in the personal finance space don't talk about this notion that I've coined called debt complexity. I think it's a very different conversation when you have one giant student loan that you can throw everything at versus 30 plus creditors who are calling you, emailing you, texting you, all maybe the same creditor doing all of that in the same day. So I had a lot of debt complexity where I had a lot of little debts. So, some were a little larger than others, but it was a lot of debt that grew over time. And I didn't just mess up my money once. Are you kidding? I, I had to learn the hard way more than once. Um, and that occurred during college, during graduate school. Like I just, I never got the money management skills to not do what I was doing. So every time I messed up, you know, a couple of years would go by and I could get credit cards again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, nothing changed. Um, I hadn't, I didn't change. And then I had something happen that really changed how I thought about the situation. Um, so in 9-11, I'll never forget it. Uh, actually, it was a little before 9-11. My mom actually lost her job in the airline industry. So that year, the airline industry, there, there was a lot going on. It was, it, it just was frothy, if you will, for some reason. And she lost her job in that industry. And, um, I'll never forget 
one of the things we didn't realize was that the economy and how work was found was changing. So before you could like change jobs really easily. Like you could just be like, you know what? I'm at will and I'm willing to go and I'm going to get another job. Like it was just very simple to move from job to job. This time my mom couldn't find another job. And this is a person who'd been working since she was 12. Um, so for some reason she was really unable to find work. And finally one day she goes, Michelle, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm scared and I need help and I need to live with you. And I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding? Like I'm in graduate school. I'm auditioning for dance videos. I'm trying to become a Denver Broncos cheerleader. Like I'm doing these things. Right. And having my mom live with me in a studio in one of the richest, you know, neighborhoods and cities in the United States was not on my list. I'm working at Starbucks. I've got a financial mess, but you know, I can kind of avoid it because I have student loans too. And then this was a come to Jesus moment. Okay. So we're living in my studio on 22nd and Canyon in downtown Boulder, Colorado. As long as I live, I'll never forget this moment in my life. And it was so hard because my mom, and this was before internet got really big, right? So she's applying for all these jobs and I would just watch all the rejection letters come in over and over again every day. She had a great education, great work, work ethic, all this stuff. And she could not get a job. And, and recently she even told me, she's like, anything I could do, I would do during that time. And I guess she got a job, like a part-time thing at a glass factory. And like, you know, hippies, there are a lot of hippies there. So, so I'm like, what? And she would walk for half a mile to get to the place in the country, kind of, you know, and I was just like, oh my God, I didn't know that. And she told me that this year. So it was just a very humbling, even talking about it, you can kind of hear it in my voice, it was a very humbling experience because no one else in my circle was having this happen. And I felt very alone. I felt very embarrassed. I felt very isolated. And I felt like, I, what can I do to change this? Like we've done all the right things. We've done all the right things. We've worked hard. We've been ethical. We've treated people right and nothing works. And I feel like right now, as we record this, there's a lot of people feeling the same way, feeling the same way. And they're like, I did nothing wrong. And now this coronavirus has me, you know, either in harm's way, having worked this little job I got, or I lost it. And so I really understand that. And I, and I was like, so lonely because I just felt like no one else understood what this felt like sucked. You know what? I I, I want to stay right there. So, but I also want to to use this as an opportunity to inject hope in people because it's interesting that you just made that parallel with your life and what was happening and Corona right now. Because as you were saying that, like I'm, I was already kind of thinking in that direction. So, can you talk about like once you find yourself in that place and you know it's feeling like overwhelming, it's emotional, it's all these things. So like once you get to that place, like what do you do? Like what were some of the initial steps that you took to start kind of clawing yourself out of that place? For me, I just was so tired and overwhelmed. And again, I was getting a lot of contact from these people that I owed. (laughs) So I never really had like 
a safe space at home because I'd come home and there'd be letters and stuff. And then I'd look at my phone, like it was just exhausting. And one of the things at the time that I was doing was I was taking dance classes. I was actually um, teaching in exchange for classes. So that was really um, helpful for me because I loved dance. And then I would, you know, enjoy nature because I'm here in Colorado. So I could go into the mountains and that kind of thing. So that was helpful. But one of the things that happened was, um, I, I graduated from grad schools and things just slowly were improving. Uh, my mom eventually moved out. Things were getting better. Um, but then, <laughs> uh, by the way, I bought a home, which was random. So I bought a place. I still live in it now. Uh, but then I got a job, um, a little, a few years before that, I got a job at a university. It took four months to even get hired on for that. So just as a side note, that was stressful. And it was weird because I, like, things were slowly coming together. And then the Great Recession hit. <laughs> and I'm just like, come on, man. Like, but it was funny because I had a really secure job. So the, you know, I'd struggled all those years before. I finally, finally found a job that took four months to even get hired onto. And the type of job that I worked was at a university, but they hired me on as a state employee. And in fact, the way that they hired me on no longer exists in Colorado because it was so protected. Like it was such a good way to be hired on. They don't do it anymore because you can't get rid of people. So I, I worked that job for 10 years until I got burnt out. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. And it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, job. I worked at a university. I, I loved the students that I worked with, uh, adult students learning English as a second language. But I would say that because of all the, um, I think that what people forget is there's an, um, there's an energy that sucks up your brain energy, if you will, when you're managing debt. Like there's just a certain amount of energy that, that, that is a constant sense of distraction because you have debt, especially if it's in arrears. If like right now, there are a lot of people who had debt that wasn't in arrears before, before coronavirus and they thought it was perfectly fine. Now they're like, Oh my God, this is bad because they're starting to get the calls to get, get the contact, whatever. So you can imagine having 30 plus creditors that I was slowly but surely kind of trying to get stuff taken care of slowly. Um, but I was trying to do several things. One, I had to find a job. I got the job. Two, I had to just have things stabilized. Three, I had to decide that like, I didn't want to live my life like this. I didn't want to get married and have a conversation like, babe, I've got like 47 debts. <laughs> like I didn't want to, I don't want to have those conversations. Um, what I didn't realize was how long it would take to do this. I had no idea. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't have a clue or else I wouldn't have tried. So I started reading books. I would, I love the library. I go, except with the exception of right now, I would go to the library every week. And every week I would find a new book and just read books. And around that time, I fell in love with personal finance blogs. And especially at that point in time, they were very story driven in the way that podcasts are now. And I loved, loved, loved the stories that I read of people who were just like me. And they may have been black, white, 
Latina, Asian, whatever. And I was like, wait, I'm not the only person who's, who's had to support a family member. I didn't know that. I'm not the only person who made a mess their money and had no idea how to dig out of from under it. I'm not the only person who is a, a well-educated individual who has no clue about finances. Like that made me feel a lot better about myself. And I, and it began a journey. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to share my story. And if it helps one person, great. Great. One person, I'll, you know, I'll, that, that's a big difference because these stories help me. And I ended up uh, becoming a part of a community, an online finance community. And it was funny because I discovered two weeks before they had their second event that they were going to be in Denver. And um, I was like, oh, my God, all of my like people that a fangirl about are going to be in Denver. Like, I got super excited. And it was only one like $100. It was super cheap. And, and, and it included food. So I was like, I am so going to this conference and I can walk there. And so I did. And I learned that one of the most important things, things about money, which is you can't do money on your own. And especially in a situation like mine, you need community. And so I found community and that was so empowering and so helpful to this day. I'm in touch with these people that I met that year. And that was 2012. It's 2020 now. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because that's something that I'm big on, something that we talk about on the podcast quite a bit is finding your tribe and like, you know, sharing uh, our unique perspectives and becoming better and bettering each other. So can you talk about the impact that that's had on you? So knowing other people who literally have walked in my shoes in very similar ways was a turning point for me because I could share what was going on with me and not worry about judgment and not worry about people saying, well, why would you help your mom? I wouldn't do that. I'm like, because that's ethically what I would do. And <laughs> I, like, I'm not going to ex- explain this decision to you. Um, and then people were like, I believe in you, Michelle. I believe that you can do this. It might take a while, but we have faith in you. And having that weekly connection especially when I got tired. Cause let me tell you, I got so tired. <laughs> uh, even recently um, I'm at the last $5,500 of unsecured debt. What happens? The Corona. So last year I, I had the last $5,500 for a year. I'm going to actually do a podcast episode about this. And I stalled out. I was running an event for my business. I was doing other things. And I just, like any other human being, I stalled out and I shifted focus and I, I just didn't, didn't get, didn't get it done. And, um, being able to talk to other people and be like, you know, <laughs> like I'm so over this. I'm so tired. I can't believe I stalled out like this. And them being like, okay, sometimes that happens. Just, you know, rest and then get started again. That has been huge for me. So community, honestly, like I, I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. You need to be careful of the people that are in your world. You need to be careful about the people that you share your stories with. You need to be careful about the people you share your dreams with. So there are a lot of people out there who are listening to this and they might be like, well, Michelle, why would you want to pay off all that debt? And I had to be very 
careful about who I let into my my world, into my mind, into my energy so that I could stay focused on my goal because it was important to me. So, you know, something that you've touched on also a couple times and I've picked up on it is, you know, you've named your project Michelle is Money Hungry and you've talked about doing different things to grow your income. So can you talk about what was going on or what were you noticing um, that made you like kind of transitioning away from, you know, a lot of people talk about frugality kind of as the end all be all when it comes to personal finance, but you focus on the earning more side. So like, why did that become important to you? So in 2014, I just decided to leave my job. It had been 10 years. I was burnt out. I went from working with 100 students at any given time to 600 students. And these were adults. So they they were international students. I was dealing with their immigration, with their children, with their stocking. I had a couple people stock me. Uh, it was a lot. Okay. So towards the end of my job, I would go hiking. I was salaried. I would go hiking for a couple hours a, a day during midday and come back when I felt like it. <laughs> and um, I will say that the hiking for an hour, like during lunch, wasn't unusual for anyone in the organization. But I was like gone for a couple hours. I was like, you know what? I'll be back. All right. <laughs> and so finally, the stress just got to me. I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm sick of commuting. I'm sick of doing all this stuff for other people. I'm sick of people roadblocking my professional development, which had happened in different ways in that job. Um, so finally, I was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to try this online thing. It, I might be crazy, but I'm single. I don't have kids. Like, this is the time to take that risk. And so I bought it. I, um, this was the second, the third time I was like, I'm going to quit in two years. Cause I was just exhausted. I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having, um, um, uh, a lot of anxiety and depression. It was really bad actually. Um, and I discovered that actually black women in particular have, um, a very high rate of heart attacks younger. And so I was like, if I don't do something, I'm going to die young. Like I really, I really was not well. And so I bought a ticket and uh, I bought a ticket to leave Denver so that I could go to Sydney, Australia. And I gave them my notice and I, I don't recommend this. I gave them a long notice. And the only reason why I did that was I was the only person who did immigration. So we had to transition a lot of the work and it was going to take a while. I knew it was going to take a while to do. Um, so I gave them like a four month notice and I was very well liked on campus. Like I had a campus wide party for me before I left. Okay. On a 30,000 person campus. So it was, it was like, you know, I was well respected and I worked hard. And to this day, the students I worked with are still in touch with me. My student assistants that I managed are still in touch with me. My colleagues that who are friends are still in touch with, with me. I was supposed to go to a baby shower last weekend, you know, so we're still all in touch. And so the thing I'm, the point I'm making about that is some people feel like, well, if I quit, the world's going to end and all this kind of stuff. And you know what? <laughs> people keep on moving. They don't, they don't even think about you twice. Right. <laughs> so, so mm -hmm. I went to Australia and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this online thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to spackle together all these different jobs and just test things out. And so I tried out being a virtual assistant and freelance writing. Like I did all these things. Now, part of the reason why I was able to do this was frugality. Like I lowered my overall budget by about, um, I'd say about 
$13,500 minimum. So I lowered significantly my, my overhead. Um, but over the years, the thing that I learned was one, I like what I like. I don't like fast food. I don't eat it. I don't think about it. Like when people get in these like fights about fast food chicken, I'm like, what is that all about? Um, so I, I have expensive tastes about certain things. You're laughing, but it's true. Um, uh, I like certain things and other things I do not. And so what I learned during this process is there are some things I'm willing to say no to and some willing, some things I'm not. And that in order to live the life that I want to live, um, I have to be true to myself. I like what I like. I dislike what I dislike and move on from there. And there's no judgment. It just is what it is. And so as I started getting deeper into this notion of entrepreneurship and learning to make money on my own outside of a regular job, one of the things I really kept thinking about was you can't out frugal stuff. You can't out frugal your debt. You can't out frugal inflation. You can't out frugal your future self. So I've become very focused on not only helping myself learn to earn more and be comfortable with that, because again, there's this whole notion of being of service and attracting money, especially large sums of money can be be seen in a certain light. I had to be like, for me to be of service to others, I can't be sitting there thinking my lights are about to be turned off. That's not good. You know what I mean? Like, um, right, right. my 72 year old self will appreciate the fact that I earned more so I could put more away, in, you know, for the future. My mom will appreciate my ability to help her if I earn more so that I can help her in the future. Like, there are reasons why I want to earn more and it's not so I can have a Fendi bag. It's for freedom. And we've just spent the last couple of months talking about Black Lives Matter. By the way, comma, to, T-O-O, not in lieu of, people get confused about this. And for me to assert that, I had to also think about um, my bottom line. Everybody else does. Everybody else does. So I want people to be very comfortable being clear with themselves about what money, what the role of money is in their life. It's security. As it is, living as a person of color in the United States is a very insecure situation consistently. So if I can at least have my money right outside of other people, quite frankly, like I've become, I've doubled down on the the idea of earning money outside of other people, game on. And I'm going to teach everybody that I I possibly can so that they can feel empowered in that way too. And the more that I've learned how to make money outside of a nine to five, the more empowered I've felt I've made mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but um, it has been a game changer, a game changer for me. Um, and during all of this, I was still paying off debt. So um, if people, I, I would say, by the way, that having the debt and, and quitting like I did was insane, but I did what <laughs> like it was, but I did what was best for me and I don't regret it. I don't. Gotcha. You know, and I love the fact that you kind of touched on like Black Lives Matter um, at that point, because I, I did do an episode this month where I, I really asked the question and dug into like, is economic empowerment and financial independence or should it be considered a form of activism? Heck and yes. 
Exactly. And I touched on that. It's like, you know, we have to be our whole selves um, in every area, you know, economically, health, all those things um, be our best selves in order to create, you know, lasting change. And that's not to say that we won't experience racism or anything like that if we're wealthy, but it does aid in the fight for equality. So I'm I'm glad you touched on that. Um, another thing that I want to touch on, because we're at this point right now where, you know, we're talking about monetizing your skills and different things like that. Like there may be people out here who are like, you know what, that sounds good, but I just don't know what to do. So can you talk a little bit about just some of the ways that you're monetizing your skills and making money as an entrepreneur? And, you know, because maybe that will help somebody else as they try to figure things out themselves. So the thing I want to remind everyone is it's 2020. It is 2020. And if you have a cell phone, literally a cell phone, because now everyone has a smartphone. You, no one has a flip unless it's your awkward uncle. So if you have a cell phone, you have the power of the internet at the, the tips of your fingers. If you're not leveraging the internet in some kind of way to attract money to you, you are, you are, uh, doing yourself a disservice. So one thing I would say is what is the thing that it comes easy, easily to you that people ask you about all the time? So that's one thing that you could literally sell. It could be that right now you are an amazing cook. Okay. And people love your food and they want to support a local foodie, a local, local chef who uh, focuses on vegan soul food. That's a really good one. And you're like, you know what? I'm a really good vegan soul food cook. Like maybe I should like go on Instagram and share some pictures and a, and a, a link so that people can order. Boom. You're in business. Now, as much as I love vegan soul food, the problem will be you do have to, you have to factor in the cost for food and travel like to deliver. I prefer to sell things that I don't have to deliver. It's delivered online. So I do a couple of things because I have website, I have podcasts. So I make money with affiliate marketing. So if there's a product that I'm obsessed with, I love to do affiliate marketing because all I have to do is get people to engage with a link, a link. They don't even have to do anything but click it. They don't have to sign up, whatever, depending on the type of affiliate it is. And I could make money. So about six weeks ago, I got $1,000 just from an affiliate, you know, because people clicked the link and they purchased a product, but there are affiliates where they literally don't even have to pay, purchase the product and you can make money. You can make income on ads on your website. If you have a website, I do not have ads on my Michelle is money hungry site, but I will have ads because I have two websites. I will have ads on my square state site, which is about Colorado. I've had this website living in the background for a while and now, and uh, now I'm like, oh, wait, a, oh, snap. <laughs> like this is, this is a time to really focus on this because it, ironically, my Colorado website is much easier to monetize than the personal finance one. Um, so ads on that site. Uh, I have eBooks that I've published both fiction and nonfiction, which I love. I'm obsessed with it. Um, I get sponsors for uh, my podcasts or even written content. I do freelance writing, which I stopped doing for about eight months because it got on my nerves. Um, and so I decided to figure out a way to leverage the same skill, which was writing, but in, but in a different way. So that's how I got into writing more ebooks. And now, uh, I do freelance writing again 
but I only work with clients that I love. So it's been great because I can choose clients who are fabulous, who pay me good money. So typically now I make between, it's, it's ranging between 250 a post to a thousand. And my monthly outlay is 1300 (laughs) bucks. So I don't, I don't really need a lot to be like, I'm good. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I love freelance writing again because I work with only clients who are really fun for me to work with, with really cool topics. So one of the posts that I'm working on in July, which is hilarious, I'm doing a review on fanny packs for hiking. And when they told me I was going to do this review, I was laughing so hard because I thought it was hilarious. And I'm normally going to be hiking anyway. So I need equipment when I hike. And I'm just going to test these things out when I normally go hiking and then I get paid for it. So the thing I would say also is when you're looking to make money, don't leverage time. Let Like be really clear about how can you do more with less time. You know what I mean? So if I'm already going to go hiking, and I can do this other thing at the same time easily. Why not? Like, that's super easy. So I'm going camping this weekend and I've been con- contracted to do a post about the outdoors and how COVID's affected how much I love it because I couldn't go to the outdoors for three months because of our stay at home quarantine. So I live in Denver. That's 40 miles away from the mountains. We were mandated by the governor not to recreate further than 10 miles from home. So when I pitch the story, they're like, just share that. I'm like, that's easy. So I'm going to get paid to share how hard it was to be at home <laughs> looking at the mountains. It was so sad. I would just look at them. Meanwhile, everybody's at home complaining about the quarantine for free. Yeah, I'm like, Facebook, right? <laughs> and like, get and you're getting paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> and so, so there's just so many ways. I created a course. So um, I created a course to teach people how to do uh, the eBooks. So um, creating a, a, an academy or like a subscription-based service, I'm actually going to launch one more uh, in July or August. I have to decide the timing uh, in the next couple of days just because it takes time to set up. Um, and that one is literally, I'm going to teach people how I do what I do online because I keep getting questions about it. So it's not random. It's not me just like throwing stuff at the wall. It's people have been asking me how I do stuff, but I'm not going to do like, I don't do coffee meetups and all that because that's time I could be making money. So um, I have eight years of free content on my website. So I will refer people to that. But because I'm getting so many questions, I'm like, I need to monetize that. So if you're listening to the show and you're like, I get questions all the time about how I live my zero waste life. That's a product you can sell. And honestly, the thing that you sell could help yourself, help other people in your family who might be losing their jobs. It could be helping your spouse. It could be helping your kids. It could be helping your community, but you have to value value your time. So I do free things like my podcast and my website, but um, I also have to eat. And if you're clear about this, people typically are like, oh, we get it, <laughs> you know? Um, I got to eat, right, you know, right. um, and I've, I did my time, you know, supporting my mom in a, in a studio. I I'm good. I don't want to repeat that. So I need to make money. So let me repeat affiliate marketing courses, eBooks, coaching, uh, Academy, um, ads, podcast sponsorships, 
uh, freelance writing. That's, I think, nine. Uh, so there's just all these different ways that you can make money online um, without selling an actual product that you're touching. You have to do the work. You have to spend some time learning how to do it. You might not like earn tons of money in the beginning because that's just how it works. But every time I make money I, and I make more, it's so exciting to me. So I usually get asked about, well, why did you really get into ebook writing? Because I'd written a book a couple years ago and it would sell. And I was like excited about it. But then I wrote another book and it sold uh, $540 worth in one month. And the thing was, that was more than my mortgage. That made me like be like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is exciting to me. And so um, I, that moment really stuck in my head because I was like, if I could duplicate even 200 bucks a month, that's like groceries. That's huge. So um, I average between 200 to about $1,800 a month just with the eBooks, not including anything else. And so now at this time, I feel very comfortable because I have income coming in independent of other people. Um, in addition to doing projects with other people, I'll be fine. So, so far we've talked about your childhood experiences with money and the struggles you had there. And then, you know, early adulthood experiences with your mom living with you and racking up debt and all those things. And then we've transitioned to you paying off a, a boatload of debt and then also now, you know, monetizing your skills and, and making income and doing all these great things. And I know you said you still have a little bit of debt left, but can you talk about just like, what are some other things that you're aiming for, you know, going forward from this point? So interestingly enough, I, I did a couple of things accidentally that have played off really well in my life now. The first thing is, uh, I accidentally became a part of what's called the slow fire community. So fire is financial independence, retire early. In my case, I knew that I didn't want to live my life. Like for a long time, I was like, I hate how my life is and all these things going on. And I want more freedom and more, I wanted more of an ability to do what I wanted to do. I didn't mind working. Like I don't mind working until I'm 70 doing stuff I enjoy, right? Like that's fine. But I, I just never liked the idea of going into a nine to five. Like I don't care about coffee talk, you know, all that kind of stuff that people care about at their work. Like I could care less about it. I don't, I just want to get my jobs done and, and go and go hiking or hang out at a coffee shop. And so one of the things that happened was, when I quit my job in 2014, at the end of that year, one of the things I was looking for was the ability to live my life on my terms and earn money the way that I wanted to. I wanted to visit my grandma when I felt like visiting her without having to ask permission to get a vacation. I wanted to help my mom out with stuff, you know, like the kids stuff that you have to do for your parents without that being an issue. I wanted to go skiing on a Wednesday and not have to deal with like the crazy traffic on the weekend. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do on my terms. And what happened was the past five years, that's what I've been able to do. I've, I've really had control over my life. Has it been easy? No. Um, but now I'm really becoming passionate about talking about this idea of slow fire. So with regular fire, people talk about uh, 
financial independence, retire early. You usually have like some white dude bros talking about how they made like a million, couple million dollars and saved it after eating ramen noodles for seven years and they're 32 years old and they, they're, they're living on their terms. For most people, that's just not going to happen like that because most people don't want to be eating bad ramen noodles for seven years. Maybe they're not working as an engineer uh, in order to accelerate their, their savings over time, that kind of thing. For me, I think the opportunity to really take control of your life, especially in 2020 where everyone has to work home for the most part, is to find a job that allows you to live the life that you're looking for. There are a lot of people who have kids right now and they're like, we don't know what we're going to do with our kids, you know? And so maybe a job that allows them to work from home and then they can have a nanny. And I'm being serious, like a nanny or au pair, or you pay your, your, your parent to come in and help you with that. That might be an option right now. There are people who are like, you know, I could care less about like community at work when literally I just want to do my tasks, get them done, get paid and move on. I'm one of those people. I, as social as I am, and I'm an extreme extrovert, actually. Um, I just felt like making money is making money and I don't need to be besties with people at work. Even though ironically, I'm still really good friends with the people I used to work with. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I love those people. They're so sweet. But in most job situations, that's not the case. Like usually you're working with people that you, that you really could care less about, um, that aren't focused on the same mission that you are. And, um, who cares? Like when you leave, they don't care that you left, you know, years later. So for me, I want to help people really understand how they can leverage slow fire and build a better life. Like right now versus waiting until they're 52 to retire and spending 10 years of like saving money and that kind of thing in order to live the life that they want 10 years from now. You know what I mean? Like live your life now, enjoy your life now. So I, as hard as everything has been, I do not regret at all what I did because the, the people who are like, I'm all focused on fire. I'm like, I'm already living the lifestyle and I've been doing it for five years. It's glorious glorious. So just really getting people to understand slow fire, the, what that would look like in their, in their life, um, and what it would take to, to do that so that you can still save money and invest over time so that, so that you are, um, securing your retirement and your life in the future. And quite frankly, if you're slow firing, you're going to be working. That's okay. I'm too young not to work. What are you talking about? Like I have to have tasks, tasks, and things to do. But I also think, especially for people of color who deal with a lot of stress, like work-related stress, uh, people dealing with commuting, uh, dealing with childcare, dealing with all these things that, that you're kind of getting thrown at you, being able to design your best life now and having people share how they did it, I think is, it's, it's one, it's like being a Black Panther. <laughs> Where you're like, I'm going to assert my life and live life on my terms right now. As we go towards wrapping up, um, I do want to give you the opportunity to to share what it is that, you know, you've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but just share some of the, the tangible products that you have to offer and where people can find you if they want to connect with you as a result of hearing this interview. So I run the website and podcast called Michelle is Money Hungry. I talk about lifestyle design, um, 
personal finance related topics. I'm particularly interested in speaking with people who monetize what they already know, who are selling what they already know online. So you don't have to like go to school to learn this already. Like there, there are things that you already know that you could be selling, but you may not realize it. Um, I run an academy right now called Make Money with Ebooks Academy. And you can go to michelleismoneyhungry.com backslash academy to look at that. And that's where I help people publish, um, well, write and publish in their nonfiction and fiction books and kind of learn how to leverage those types of works differently. I do that. And then I'm launching what's called the Brand Building Lab, which I kind of touched on before, which is this whole idea of how do you do what you do online and just teaching people how to do that. So that's coming. I do not have a URL for that yet. So you just have to go to michellesmoneyhungry.com to kind of check that out and keep an eye out for that. Awesome. Well, hey, you guys listening to this, be sure to go check out everything Michelle is doing. I'll be sure to link to that in the episode description um, for the show notes page, but also michelleismoneyhungry.com for all of her projects and everything that she's working on. But hey, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and just openly and transparently sharing your story, sharing your journey with us. I really appreciate this time that we've had together. And I know people that listen to this get to walk away feeling a little more hopeful, uh, maybe with some information that they didn't have before. So thank you again for coming on and sharing. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I I do want to say, like, I've had a lot of tough times, but I feel like I'm on the road that I'm supposed to be on. And, um, I feel very blessed and thankful for all the people that I've met along the way and hopefully have also uh, inspired as well. And if you are finding yourself in a moment like I was where you're like, I've lost my job. My relative has lost my job. This, oh my God, like everything looks crazy. All I can say is take one step at a time. Stay focused. Take breaks. Be kind to yourself that you did nothing wrong. Like we, like if we all had a, a book, like a guidebook to do everything right, then okay, fine. But we don't like we're imperfect human beings and we, we do the best we can with the information that we had. I had no information about money management. It took years to learn how to manage my money better. It may, it may take years to clean up a mess that you find yourself in. Um, but you'll be able to clean up the mess. Okay. And, um, just believe that you can and, and we're here for you. Michael and I are here for you. Um, if we're not the right people for you, there are other people, especially now online who can inspire you with their story. So, um, have faith, stay focused and you've got this. Very well said, Michelle. And thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your journey, sharing your story with us. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And to all you teammates out there listening, as I mentioned, be sure to head over to winningtowealth.com slash episode 37, because it is there where I will be sure to link to Michelle's blog her podcast, Michelle is Money Hungry, her academy, and so much more and all the different ways that you can connect with her. And now it is time for this week's win of the week. So Michelle talked about how finding a community of people really helped her start turning things around and start really winning to wealth. And so I want to point out like-minded people not only hold you accountable and have the tough conversations, but they inspire you. They keep you motivated. They keep you encouraged as well. 
So this week, focus on finding you a tribe of people to cheer for you and root for your success. And then you in turn be that same person for them. And if you're in need of a tribe like that, but you don't know anybody in your personal life, you can head over to winningtowealth.com slash teammates and join my private Facebook group. It's there where you can ask questions, you can get encouragement, or even just pop in to celebrate a win you've had. And again, the URL for that is winningtowealth.com slash teammates. That is my private Facebook group. But hey, that's all the time I have this week. So until we talk again, keep racking up those wins one at a time. Take care. You've wrapped up another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. To learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions, head over to winningtowealth.com. 